Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Evan Grant's going to join us in a little while. He's out on the West Coast, and he's having a hard time finding his microphone. Or something like that. I don't know. I, I think really he's spending a hard time getting out of bed. Yeah, I, I, relish, I relish the time you and I have together here, Kevin. David, that way. That feel, that makes me feel so good because usually behind my back you're saying really ugly things about me. <laughs> oh, I'll say it to your face though too. You do have to give me that. <laughs> that's true. That's 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 a good point. I appreciate that very much. Uh, that's that's nice. Uh, so before we jump into this uh, cowboy stuff, David, what's going on? Everything okay in your life? You know, we, we we haven't really talked to a lot other than a couple of podcasts while I was on vacation doing podcasts, by the way, which. I'm sure the bosses won't note that, but that's okay. <laughs> but we do. We appreciate your dedication. Well, I, I do. I, I do appreciate it. Thanks very much. It's it's always good to be. And it's going to be back at the house. I'm, I'm back at the house. Of course, we we got in here. We were having some renovations done on the house uh, while we were on vacation. We thought that was a really smart thing to do. Except the contractor didn't exactly match up with our vacation, and so we came back. We had to go to a hotel. And uh, and I came back Sunday morning to find our house had been burglarized. Uh, oh, so, really? oh my gosh! Yeah, really nice. Uh, of course, they didn't take any of my stuff because none of my stuff is worth taking. You know, we don't have any <laughs> money. Like, well, that goes without saying. We know this was. Yeah, that. we don't have any money. We don't have any guns. We don't have any drugs. We don't have anything that anybody would really want. So they stole my my wife's jewelry, which most of it was, you know, not real expensive, but a lot of really sentimental stuff. You know, that kind of thing. So it's like. Just really cheesy, and of course, our uh, deductible didn't cover, uh, you know, uh, hardly. No, no, it never does. Yeah. So that was great. So just a really good feeling. Good, good feeling Sorry being insured and, and and secure and all of that uh, here at the house. So, so anyway, but but other than nice. that, though, yeah, yeah, right. So back, at least we're back home, kind of, sort of. So anyway, well, let's move on from the from that happy story uh, to the Cowboys, that, and let's talk about the the how this draft class has worked out so far, David, in, in, in uh, training camp. It's been a little unusual. They, of course, lost their third-round pick to Marvin Overshone uh, to a, uh, an Achilles tear. or, or an, Was that an ACL? ACL. Was uh-huh. it? Yeah. ACL. ACL. Yeah. yeah. So um, that was a big loss. You know, when the Cowboys drafted him, uh, I, I liked uh, DeMarvin when he played at Texas. I thought he was a good player. I, I didn't always feel like um, he was a dominant player. I didn't look at him like at, at Texas, like, well, wow, this is a guy who's really, you know, a, a, a world-class linebacker. And I think that showed in the draft, right? He's a third-round pick. Uh, oh, but yeah. as it turned out, he fit the Cowboys scheme perfectly. Yeah, and that's what, uh, you know, toward his ACL in the first quarter that lost to Seattle, on uh, Saturday night over the weekend, um, going to be going to miss his, his first season. They, you know, it's interesting you said that because uh, I know a lot of people in talking about Overshone after the draft pick, some people really loved him and said, hey, I love this guy's potential. I think he can really be something. And then a lot of other people were, well, he was okay, but I don't see why people are projecting him to be you know, something, I mean, you know, he kind of, and, and some even felt he was taken a little higher than where he was projected. It would have been like, you know, uh, fourth round more a little bit. So like a half round early or whatever. So I, I was, I was kind of, 
I was kind of trying to dig into like, why is this split on him? And, and I think you nailed it in, in how the Cowboys intended to use him. Uh, and they didn't talk about this in the draft, but as the as training camp unfolded, it was very clear what they loved about him was his versatility and maybe the fact he didn't fit into a, a prototypical linebacker position and he could do more. And, you know, J. Ron Curse is a guy who was a journeyman safety in this league for a long time. He got in Dan Quinn's system here, and Dan Quinn created this hybrid kind of safety linebacker role for him, and he's excelled in it, and he's a vital part of this defense going forward. And it's very clear from how he was used and uh, what they've been saying about him that that the Cowboys believe they found the next generation replacement of J. Ron Curse in Overshone. And uh, boy, I tell you, everybody gravitated to this guy. I mean, Micah Parsons took him under his wing. You know, Mike McCarthy, when we were talking about the, the injury earlier this week, and he said, well, look, let, you know, let's be frank here. He was the star of our rookie class from what we had seen to this point. So it's a, you know, this is, this is a big hit. And he was going to, he was not going to replace J. Ron Curse this season. J. Ron Curse is too valuable in what he does. But they had already created a role for him to take some of those snaps off J. Ron Curse's plate. And if you remember last year, J. Ron Curse got worn down and missed some time. And that defense wasn't as, uh, as unpredictable in a good way without him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that position is kind of the fulcrum point that allows you to attack offenses in a lot of different ways, but disguise your scheme. And uh, I think in Overshone, it became clear they viewed him as a younger, uh, stronger, more athletic J. Ron Curse who could move into that role uh, over time. So he had a role in the defense. Uh, he, had, he had really impressed them on special teams. Um, you know, I, I talked to several coaches and they said, you know, they review after training camp every day uh, what the players did and that sort of thing. They hardly a review went by, a nightly review went by that the coaching staff wasn't raving about Overshone and how he was picking up things and the plays he made in practice. And you noticed him in practice just about every single day do something where you went, wow, you know, this, uh, I can see maybe where this guy does contribute to this defense. So it's hard to say what you've lost on a player who's never played a regular season snap uh, like Overshone, but it's very clear they were counting on him to be, uh, you know, a, a key contributor in this defense. And so that that's no longer there for them. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because, you know, uh, as far as the draft class goes, uh, and so far we, we haven't seen a lot from uh, Mozzie Smith, haven't seen a lot from Luke Schoonmaker, uh, the, the, the tight end, uh, you know, Mozzie Smith is still probably trying to adjust exactly what it is they want him to do. I don't know if they were expecting him to be a, a real uh, to flash really early or not. The schoolmakers uh, was uh, obviously had plantar fasciitis, has had some injury concerns, and maybe that's hindered his development a little bit. But I would say the one thing about Will Will Clay's draft classes, uh, if I was going to criticize them at all, it was that they were a little top heavy. Uh, that yep. he was getting good production out of his first round pick, not so much out of second maybe a little out of third, and then really not a lot after that. Uh, there have been some exceptions, of course. But, uh, and, and, and you know, really, that's the way you, you would hope it would go, right? You want your first-round hit 
uh, your first round picks to hit. Obviously, that's the one you're, where you have all the money invested in them, and and uh, you have to get those right. Uh, so that was really okay. But to me, if you look at the Cowboys back in their, you know, in the seventies and in the early eighties, when they had drafts, uh, they were hitting all throughout the draft. Yeah. And then in the early nineties, when they were going to the Super Bowls, they were hitting on players throughout their drafts. And you, you really have to do that. Not to say that those guys in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round are going to be starters necessarily, but they're certainly contributors. They're, they're guys that that play key roles on the team and allows you to. Uh, you know, you know, manage your salary, certainly these days, to manage your salary cap better, all those kind of things that, that come into play here. And so what we're seeing so far anyway, and it's obviously we haven't, the Cowboys haven't even played a, a snap yet, uh, but it looks like maybe they've got some of that production at this point from the back end of the draft. Yeah, they still feel good about this rookie class and what it can contribute. But it's, but it's inverted at this point. Uh, I, I think the players that are r- really exciting and you can see them carving a role are at the end of this draft rather than the top of this draft. Uh, you know, it, it starts with Deuce Vaughn, <laughs> their sixth-round pick. I mean, uh, Deuce Mania has clearly taken hold. Uh, we've talked about this before. You don't know how extensive his role is going to be but you know the Cowboys have a role for him going into this season. And you can see uh, just from the plays he's made in the preseason in the rather limited amount of time uh, just how exciting he is and the anticipation and, and the problems he poses for a defense. I mean, he leads the way just because of, of, uh, of his size and being such a, an exciting unexpected player in, in so many ways in that package. But also, you know, you haven't heard as much of him, but Eric Scott, uh, the corner from Southern Miss, who's their six-round pick, he's been very, very good uh, from the start. Um, he has not made uh, a lot of the interceptions, but he's right there. He's breaking up plays. He's usually in good position. Uh, he was exploited uh, a couple of times here in the in the postseason in the preseason, excuse me, but uh, overall has held up very well in his practice. You know, strong start to finish, and their seventh round pick, Jalen Brooks, the receiver out of South Carolina. Um, I would be a little surprised at this point if he hasn't carved a spot out for himself on the fifty three man roster. Uh, you know, the way this is breaking down, I think they're very strong in their first first four receiver spots with Jalen Tolbert uh, really making a big jump from where he was as a rookie, where he was a non-factor. But uh, Jalen Brooks, outside of the top four, has been as impressive as any receiver and more impressive uh, really than than all the others receivers and more consistent in this camp. So you have your bottom three guys who I think are going to be a part of the, the rotation from the start. Uh, like I said, Overshone was the star of the class. He clearly had a role, the third round pick. Now he won't be there. So now you look at the top two and it's, look, we're only two preseason games in. No one's going to dismiss anybody. And Schoonmaker, uh, it's more of the, with the plantar fasciitis, uh, he's gotten very limited playing time practice leading up to the first two games. And you saw him, uh, you know, he made a couple of nice catches for first down in that second preseason game. I think you'll see him a little bit more. But he was always going to be a rotational guy too, right? And I think they feel very good about Ferguson. Uh, and what he can do there. Um, and now it's Mozzie Smith, and he has not been as consistently dominant or flashed as much as you would like. Um, 
but he still shows his strength, you know, but, but, but it's about technique. It's about his ability to get off the ball at the snap because he's a little slow on that. And when he is, uh, offensive linemen can get their hands on him and kind of redirect him. And, and he, and his strength is he's not able to use it, uh, as if he knows, you know, to, to see where exactly to go. So that's a little, he has not been bad, but he has not been, uh, he has not been where you go, okay, we can just turn, you know, they can turn it over to this guy day one as the starting one technique. Um, I think that's unrealistic at this point. I think you're still going to see Jonathan Hankins, the veteran, uh, will start in there, and you will see uh, Mozzie Smith come along more as the season goes along rather than making an impact immediately. But again, like I said, this is a very good defense. And uh, they can afford to do that, right? There's no need to throw him in there if he's not ready to do it. They pick his spots, build his confidence, uh, improve his technique. And uh, they are not down on him by any means. I would just say he's not as far along as some of the rookies at the bottom of the draft class. David, would you say that in Mozzie's case, it's more a situation where he is just using poor technique or he's not in great shape or that – uh, he needs to to work on something more. Is it more physical than mental? What what exactly is it that they feel like that he has to do? I think when he's and again the system was a little bit different in what they asked of him. Uh, you know, in Michigan State, this is a little bit different system. So I one I think he's adjusting to the play speed of this system, which is different from how he's played before. So I, I think it's more the anticipation and recognition of what he's supposed to do on every play. And I do think, and this isn't unusual either, I I think, uh, especially at the college level, whatever your greatest physical attribute is, um, you can be a dominant player in college without necessarily having the fundamentals in place, right? Now, you can do that to some extent at the pro level too, but it's going to catch up with you because there's so many more strong guys uh, that you're going against who maybe they have that technique. So I think that's what Mozzie is encountering a little bit here, that uh, you know he was his, his sheer power and strength allowed him to compensate for technique mistakes that he made on the college level, and at this level, he's not getting away with it. And look, that's not unusual for interior defensive linemen or offensive linemen coming into this league. Uh, You know, the speed power ratio is a lot different in the NFL than it is college. Uh, Just as far as the consistency and the number uh, of, of, you know, competitors you're going against that that can match you pretty closely in strength. So I I think it's just adjusting to that. And it's probably, um, again, and this was a late first round pick, too. Um, you know, I think people were, I think there was a, a, a perception early that, oh, this will just be a plug and play guy, you know, run stopper. This is great. But those elements are still there, but, uh, it's not a, it's not a product. I don't know. That's, uh, uh, ready to plug in on day one and go from there when they open the season against, uh, not that many won't play, but it's, uh, I, I do think it'll be interesting though. Um, you know. He could be when you're looking at you know how the roster breaks down on the on the you know active game day roster. There may be a few times early in the season where they go, well, you know, with this matchup, hey, he's not what quite ready. Let's give him another week of practice. Go in here. Let's go with these guys. So we'll see how that unfolds. 
Well, let's look, switch it back. You, you talked a little bit uh, about, of course, Deuce Vaughn and Deuce Mania. Um, it's interesting to me what his role is going to be on this club because you, if you uh, consider that Cavante Turpin was a very successful return guy last year, and if Deuce is going to be the third back, which it kind of seems like he's going to be, maybe Rico Dowdle is, offers a better complement uh, uh, as a kind of a, a, a big banger kind of back or at least somebody who's going to move the pile a little more, certainly than Deuce would, um, mm-hmm. that that means that Deuce probably needs to be playing on special teams and probably needs to be returning kicks and punts, which seems pretty natural for a player of his stature and what he's done and the kind of player he's been. But that, of course, encroaches upon Gabonte Turpin's uh, role. And if I could see them, I guess, splitting that, if you could have – you know, uh, Turpin, you know, returning punts and, and uh, you know, uh, Deuce returning kicks or vice versa. And, and then, uh, but that means that Turpin's going to have to have a larger role as a receiver. And as you said, they've got four pretty solid receivers as it is. So how do you see this playing out here? Um, you know, the, it seemed counterintuitive to me going into training camp that, you would have two guys of the stature of Turpin and Vaughn on your roster when most teams don't even have one, right? And so the idea was, well, is one going to cancel out the other? Can you really only go on game day active with one, and how is that going to go forward? But while both of the roles are, are, are limited, I, I really think they're working to get both guys on the roster game day uh, because uh, they like the speed, they like the mismatch. Um, remember they changed some things in offense and it's, it's more West coast. It's going to be some quicker drops. It's going to be getting guys ball in space on slants. And, uh, they see what that speed can do on slants. Um, you know, if one is going to take one, well, I've changed my mind a bit. I, I, I think there is a chance. Both of these guys kind of have a role in, on game day, uh, every week. Um, now they have said that, that Turpin is not, his position as a punt returner is not threatened whatsoever. He is their punt return guy. There's really no debate there. But you've seen Deuce do a few things in kickoff returns, uh, you know, show a little something. And and he's actually been working um, as kind of a, a protector uh, in the blocking scheme on the punt game as well. So he may not have your traditional role on special teams, but he still needs to find a role if you're a down-the-line running back. You know, same thing with Turpin. Uh, so I, I can actually see both of them carving a, a, a role for themselves. I, I will say, based on what we've seen, I think you would use Vaughn more than Turpin in the, in the actual offense. Um, you know, Turpin has been used more as a receiver. They, they've especially used him in not just these jet sweeps. You've seen in camp on these crossing patterns, they've used him and they're going to him a little bit more. You, you've seen it a little bit in the preseason games as well. Uh, and he, it does look like he's more advanced as a receiver than how they were using him last year when he came into camp after it already started. But you know, you know, Vaughn's a very good receiver out of the backfield. Uh, you've seen his burst as a runner. Uh, it, what's interesting with Vaughn is, you know, the first time he touched it in that Seattle game, he had that, you know, really bordered on spectacular 14-yard touchdown run. Then he had four carries the rest of the game for zero yards and lost yardage on two of them. So that's, you know, if I'm the coaching staff, 
maybe what I want to do with Deuce Vaughn in this final preseason game is I just want to run him between the tackles a little bit more to get a feel for, you know, how much you can use him there because that will determine how many packages he is in. So, I, you know, I, I think it's still a little bit to be determined how they use Deuce Vaughn, but there's no question they have a defined package for him in the offense that we're not going to be able to ascertain what it is to the regular season's underway. And that's really important because, you know, if we look at the history of running backs and, and what they offer, um, I, I think there's always been a tendency to make these guys one size fits all, you know, you know, yeah. I'm just going to every running back the same. And, it, and, and to me that's, and we talked about that a little bit earlier uh, about De- DeMarvin Overshown and, and what he was in college. None of he was a little bit of an undersized linebacker, and, and I think that made him feel to me like not a dominant player. Uh, but if you're going to make him into a hybrid player, well, then that's something else entirely. And so uh, that, that's a little bit with, with, with Deuce and, and, uh, and what he offers. I, I don't see a big difference between him and Tony Pollard. They are obviously different sizes, and they, sure. you know, but I think they are the same kind of back. I, I, just what you said, there were games last year when, when Tony – you know, gets the handoff and boom, gets hit the line of scrimmage and he's down, you know, not, you know, whereas Zeke might've got you two or three yards on that play. Tony wasn't going to be able to do that. So that makes it difficult in my mind to make Deuce the number two running back and where Dowdle might supplant him there and be the kind of back that when you have to have a goal line situation or if, you know, it's, it's third and one that you, you need that kind of running back. And that's what you put in there. But it doesn't mean that Deuce doesn't play a vital role. And as you pointed out before, uh, we, we, we don't expect Tony to, to increase his number of carries probably per no. game. And so no, he's got a management among that committee. And, and then you're splitting up the carries with Dowdle, with Malik Davis, who I also believe will make the team, and also Deuce Vaughn. And you just split it up that way. The, the distribution behind Pollard will be different to make up for Elliott not being here. But it doesn't mean you put more on Pollard's plate. Yeah, and, and and you know we we talked about this too with the uh, with uh, Mike McCarthy's pronouncement that uh, we're going to run the damn ball. Uh, that uh, I don't know off the top of my head, David, what the Cowboys averaged rushing per game. I mean carries per game last year. I would assume it was probably in the uh, twenty two to twenty three. 24 carries per game individual but then you, he takes the overall yeah it's a little bit higher he mike mccarthy shoots for and he looks at it this way it's not just runs he's he shoots for ball distribution and he's looking for 35 touches for the running backs so that's 35. either short little swing passes or actual carries from scrimmage 35 yeah. is kind of his benchmark where he feels uh that this offense is in balance yeah, and that, and that makes perfect sense because as we've looked at before, and I went back and looked at the, the Cowboys' one loss record when, when Dak throws it between 20 and 30 times and when he throws it between 31 and 40 times, and the, it, there's a pronounced difference. When he's throwing yeah, the is. ball yeah, in the high 20s uh, of attempts, they're very good. His, his, his uh, one loss record is tremendous. Uh, when it goes over that, it's not so good. And then some of that is kind of natural. You would expect that to be in the case where if you're behind, you're going to throw the ball a lot more, that kind of sort of thing. But if you look at somebody like Patrick Mahomes, his one loss record when he's throwing it more than 30 times or 40 times is tremendous. So mm-hmm. it, it is, I, I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of criticism or certainly a lot of cynicism, I'll say, not criticism, a lot of cynicism about Mike McCarthy's uh, proclamation they're going to run the damn ball, you know, we're, we're not – 
I'm not interested in having the number one offense in the league. Um, I, I think Mike might have overstated that. He probably could have said that in a different way to make that sound a little less like I'm, I'm a Neanderthal here. We're just going to go back to three yards in a cloud of dust. I don't think that's what the Cowboys are intending at all. I do. He's think, never though, been that guy. Yeah, no, he's, he's never, never been, been that guy. guy. Look at his track. So why would we think so now? Yeah. So, but I do think there's, there's no question. If you just look at the numbers here, with when Dak throws it between twenty and thirty times, they win. Uh, and so why why wouldn't you want to cater to that then? There, that certainly seems there's a there's enough of a sample size here to say this is what works best for the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. And you have a an outstanding defense on the way to potentially being a dominant defense. So you play to that as well, right? You tailor your offense. I mean, good offense in this league is not just scoring points. It's about uh, playing off your – it's about covering your weaknesses and playing to your strengths. And defense is a strength on this team. So how should the offense proceed? And I think that's what he's talking about with play calling, about time of possession – about what their approach is going to be and how they attack defenses. And look, you know, this defense has led the league in turnovers in back-to-back years. Uh, A lot of that is, you know, the less you're on the field, the more you play with a lead, those numbers are going to go up, right? So you're playing into the defense's strength. So that's it. It's about controlling the clock, getting early leads, uh, putting offenses back on the heels where they have to play catch-up and then see what they can do against this defense that has such good pass rushers and, and playmakers on the back end. All right. Well, we'll see how this goes in this uh, final uh, preseason game. Uh, this will be pretty much like all the preseason games the Cowboys have played like this the year. Previous two. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they kind of gone into that mode and uh, we kind of run out of time to talk about that, uh, about whether that's a good idea to do that or not, uh, to not play your starters. Me personally, and Tim Kalashaw's on record about that. I, I like to see him play at least a little bit, uh, you know, to get to shake some of the rust off. I, we've seen Dak perform differently, you know, uh, two years ago, first game out of the box, he was tremendous. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not always the case where, you know, he needs some extra time, but I think it certainly would have alleviated some of the fans' trepidation after Dak put up what was for him a very uh, subpar year last year, and uh, with so many with fifteen interceptions in twelve games, that sort of yeah, thing. With, yeah, with all the so. tweaks made in the system, and and again, it's uh, um, you know we have pointed out on this podcast before that you know this team is twelve and five in back to back years under Mike McCarthy, made the playoffs in back to back years, first time in fifteen years. Um, while we're while we're stating all that. We would also be remiss if we did not point out going into your conversation about how this team gets ready for the regular season. Mike McCarthy has yet to win a regular season opener as a Cowboys coach. He is 0 for 3. So the narrative or the argument that they should do a little bit more in preseason is going to stick because this team is, uh, again, it's 12 and 5 the last two years and they started out 0 and 1. You know? Yeah. Well, some of that, too, is who you're playing as well. Exactly. Uh, those, yeah. those games have been pretty tough games, uh, but, yeah, the point is well taken. All right, that's going to do it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to bid David goodbye as he uh, sets well, about Well, let's on make this clear. TV. You're bidding me goodbye because Evan refuses to share the mic with me. He says he wants to dominate the final section of this podcast and wants no well, interference from me. 
the uh, that, that has come up. Evans had several meetings with upper management, uh, and in, <laughs> oh, I've heard. Yeah, apparently that came up uh, that he wanted a bigger role on the podcast. And he wanted he wanted to double his money on the podcast as well. And they said, sure, triple it, quadruple it, whatever. Yeah, you we'll want. double the money. <laughs> we'll, we'll double the money you're making on this podcast. As I recall, you know, and I was never a math wizard, but when you double zero, <laughs> it's still zero. That's the thing about how that works, I believe. Uh, that is the one the thing case. about math. That's the one concept about math that I have fully, completely understood. Yeah, me too. That's why I became a journalist, so I didn't have to do math. Let me be clear that none of you have understood math, because if you did, we'd probably not be making the kind of money that we are making. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, it's always said about Tim Callishaw, who scored higher on the math portion of his SAT than he did on the uh, the, the verbal, I guess, the, whatever we're going to call that in the old days, the English version. It's like, I told him, I said, well, then you You can tell up, by man. his writing, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he's always trying to type with, he's always trying to put numbers in where, where words should be, you know? Have you noticed that with Tim? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, we're just giving him a hard time. But I got to tell you, if I'd been any good at math, I'd have gone out and made some real money and made something out of my life instead of becoming the bum that I am today. So, anyway. All right, David, we'll see you. We're going to talk about the Rangers now. Have a good time. Okay, well, my concern is Evan will never let me back on the podcast after he he, he runs unabated for the final 50 minutes. Oh, this, this is just going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal. Evan, Evan on the Don't news. worry. Bye, guys. You'll be back next week for a brief time. All right, so, Evan, you're out in uh, Arizona uh, watching games in the Battleship. You know, that is that might be my least favorite stadium in all of baseball. I, I can't stand. Uh, it's it's not my least favorite, but it, it's of the Dome State. Well, actually, I might like Tampa better than this place, to be perfectly honest with you. But, it, you know, Oakland is Oakland. And until Oakland is no longer Oakland, Oakland will be number one. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But at any point, at any any way, the uh, the Rangers have, have played to the level of their uh, surroundings uh, last night. I, I thought that that game had all the earmarks of well, here it is. They bounced. They're bouncing back here. They got a they got a nice effort. Oh, I got a great effort from Jordan Montgomery, obviously. Eight shutout innings. First time in his career, I believe, that he'd ever pitched past the seventh inning. Uh, and uh, and then you get a you get a home run from Adolis Garcia, who'd been in a slump, and it looked like just giving him a day off might have helped him, you know, get back his uh, timing. Uh, and so this just had everything set up. And then even after a world as Chapman blows the save and gives up the home run to tie the game and send it into extra innings, you had the Rangers mount a rally uh, in the 11th and look like they're going to uh, win this game. And I was thinking that this might even have been better for them because this allowed them to get into extra innings and show that they can do this. And then Will Smith just completely uh, imploded. And, caught, and as you pointed out, not one but two blown saves in one game. Uh, and coming on the heels of the other losses, the four losses in a row, so that makes five now, uh, that one last night just felt pretty big. Well, it just adds to adds to all the issues that this team is facing right now. Um, the offense is still an issue outside of the Garcia home run. They didn't have anything in the first 
nine uh, nine innings. Um, and Adolis had struck out and looked bad in the first two at-bats on a steady diet of fastballs that he just couldn't catch up to. So maybe the positive there is he did make an adjustment finally on the fastball, and maybe that will start to turn things around. But the rest of the offense continues to struggle. Um, you add in what now looks like something of a rudderless bullpen again with Will Smith and, and Adol- uh, uh, Roldis Chapman uh, struggling last night. Uh, and the tightening of the race. You know, it's it's two games separate first and third place in the American League West. So, um, yeah, it's all the earmarkings of a critical moment of, of, of the season for the Rangers. They have had answers at previous occasions. The answers get a little bit harder to come by, and I also think you can't under underestimate the – edge that both Seattle and Houston have. I don't want maybe edge isn't the right word, but look, Seattle and Houston have been through playoff races together. The nucleus of that team has been through playoff races together, and there has to be some degree of value in that. The Rangers have lots of playoff experience and lots of good guys to impart wisdom about playoff race experience, but they haven't done it together. And I think there is something, it's certainly not something that dooms their necessarily, but it is something they've got to fight through and forge kind of that last connection to make to make the strong run that they're going to need to make to win the American League West. Yeah, there, there's probably several areas here that we could talk about. And, uh, and you know, and we have talked about those and, and uh, the failure of, uh, or I think, I guess the, yeah, the failure of Leone Tavares to sustain, uh, you know, what had been a really great start. I wouldn't expect him to hit 300, uh, you know, but, you know, he's he's not come close to that since then. And Adolis has been in a slump and Ezekiel Duran has been in a slump. And, and so some of these are guys that you kind of expect it from a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to have to say the same thing now about the bullpen and the closer because, you know, of course, I've heard over and over again, I'm sure you have too from everyone about that. Why isn't a role as Chapman, you know, the closer instead of Will Smith? Uh, it, it shouldn't even be a co-closer thing. I don't know that a role Chapman can do that uh, night after night. I don't know if at his age you can expect him to throw 100 miles an hour every night. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem. Although last night they, they ran him out there twice, right? Uh, after he gave up the home run in the ninth, and then he came back in the tenth, and he pitched very well. Uh, first, so first time I, in five years he's pitched. First time in five years he's pitched more than uh, four outs. Um, and listen, he finished off that two inning stint with a hundred and two mile an hour heater. But you know, the, the, he threw thirty seven pitches last night, and at the age of 35, 36, he's going to need a couple of days off. So now you've got him off for a day or two. Fortunately for the Rangers, they have a full off day tomorrow so that if they can get through tonight, maybe they can get things back in order. But Will Smith has pitched on back-to-back days and thrown close to 40 pitches. And so they have no back end of the bullpen going into the game that we're talking about now that by the time we get out to all the listeners will be a final. Sorry about that. Well, that's all right. Uh, You know, the, the, Issue for me, the bigger issue than Aroldis, though, of course, is Will Smith. Uh, he is uh, – the, the numbers have been terrible uh, this month. 
And, you know, he just seems to me, he's, he's always been a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, you know, if, if his slider's working, uh, he throws it a lot. If he has to revert to his fastball, um, he, he doesn't throw very hard. Uh, and that's, that's really problematic for him if he can't spot it. If he if he's not putting that fastball on, he's a little bit like Martin Perez. If their location is not just pristine, then they're going to struggle, and and that's something you just can't have as a closer. You know, well, uh, he's, the, the pretty much the formula for any closer has been we're just going to blow people away, and that's certainly not anything that he's going to do. Correct. Though I brought this up with Bruce Bochy, and it's almost to the point of being something of a debate at this point. I guess it almost sounds like I'm lobbying for Aroldis Chapman um, in some of the questions with him. But yeah, I do. I, I just do wonder if you can go and win in the postseason with a closer who doesn't throw 100 miles an hour. Um, the flip side or the multiple flip sides on this are, look, Will Smith is fearless, um, and he's going to make the most out of what he has. I think the last 10 days have shown some real danger about letting him face right-handed pitchers late in games. He did that. They did that with Patrick Patrick Bailey in San Francisco, um, faced the right-hander, and he got burned. Uh, Two-run game walk-off home run 10 days ago. Last night, the one guy who had been who had been swinging the bat well came up, Keto Marte, with um, with a base open, and so they put him on. He ended up being the tying run eventually when Will Smith couldn't get the next batter out. So, um, I don't. Well, know by the way, I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about interrupt you. Ask you about that strategy. Well, of course, a lot of people are going to question that when you put on the tying run. I, my feeling was. I, I get it, and I, I thought they probably should intentionally walk people more often this year, like Freddie Freeman and 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 others that just were just killing the Rangers. I, in that particular case, I was feeling like Marte's already hit his home run. Uh, I, I'm not sure that he's got two of them in him at this point. Did you question at all the, the intentional walk there? No, I mean, I I, I think the uh, the question I want to come back and ask Bochi today is really if he can break down like the difference. Like, did they did they feel the Bailey at bat changed how they want to handle Smith in in those kinds of situations? Um, but I did feel like the Rangers approached Marte in. I think they walked him intentionally in a previous at bat too. I, I think they approached him. Like, this was the one guy who could really hurt them last night. Uh, and they they learned the hard way with the Bailey at bat in San Francisco. Um, with the base open, I didn't have a problem with them walking him to set up a left-on-left matchup. It was just more favorable for Smith. It didn't work out last night. And I just think it, it adds to the question of, here's a guy who's in his mid-30s who doesn't have an overpowering fastball to start with, as we get into the latter stages of August, is he gasping for breath a little bit? And I don't know if there is an answer or if there's an answer that the Rangers want to find out. Um, But in terms of strategy, I did not have an issue with that strategy last night. Uh, I'd have had a bigger, I'd have had a bigger issue if they'd have put the winning run on base. Um, uh, what they did is they brought the winning run to the plate, but they didn't put the winning run on base. Yeah. 
All right, but, and I want to stay on this Will Smith subject because, you know, to me, the one thing that we've talked about all year long was that when the rotation was struggling, when the bullpen was struggling, well, they're going to need to add help before the trade deadline. Well, the deadline is coming gone. There is no answer now from the outside. They can bring somebody up. I can't imagine you would you would put anybody from the farm system in that kind of role. You're not going to do that. So, uh, I mean, what, what is the alternative? Other than making Chapman the closer, uh, the ninth inning closer, full-time, I mean, there's really not anything else you can do, is there? Well, I mean, there's always, you know, you can always go to a full bullpen by committee again. And listen, the guy who's pitching really well right now that does have some closing experience is Jose LeClerc. Um, and he's done it under the radar. But the question is, if you move LeClerc into a higher profile position like that, does it impact his performance? Um I think in, in some of these situations, like Kevin, as, as we're talking right now and we go into Tuesday, if the Rangers get a close-it-out situation, they're not going to have Smith or Chapman available, so they are going to have to experiment a little bit. And as, as we've seen in so many cases, a guy goes out, gets the job done in a um, on-the-fly, clutch-moment, um, kind of pinch-closer situation – you know, Bochy's let guys, whether it's been offensively or, or in the bullpen, run with the hot hand a little bit. So maybe somebody gets a, a, a chance by uh, just by by process of elimination today and you see if you have something and you run with it for a little while. It's not ideal, but maybe Smith needs a little bit of a, cl- a, a little bit of a breather here. Maybe that will help him. Um but yeah, it, it's not ideal, and there's a lot of things that are not ideal right now, right? You 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 just went through the lineup, and you know I, I kind of detailed this in my Garcia story this morning. But look, Garcia and Lowe have not really been hitting much in in August. Um, then you go down the, the bottom half of the lineup, and save for Mitch Garver, who's been a godsend, you've got Jonah Heim, who's basically one-handed right now and hasn't found his timing from the left side since he's come back from the IL. Uh, you've got a replacement third baseman in Ezekiel Duran, who is a nice player, but there are flaws in his game, and those have been exposed uh, with more play. You've got Leody Tavares, who is now flirting with a sub-300 on-base percentage and potentially having his um, his OPS fall below 700. Uh, and you've got a left field situation that even with some energy that J.P. Martinez has brought is still a mashup between, between Robbie Grossman a cooling off Travis Jankowski and and uh, and Martinez. So you take all those pieces, and it's basically this. Opponents are going to say, we're not going to let Marcus Simeon or Corey Seager beat us. And until the offense shows that it can either manufacture or convert runs, that's going to be an ongoing problem. The bullpen is another ongoing problem that the Rangers have to face right now. And I think the experience factor that the other two teams have, along with easier remaining schedules for both Seattle and Houston, uh, are all advantages. But as I said to Rangers executives last night, and I said to other people that we that we were talking about, here's the bottom line. This team went out and created a good veteran roster with lots of experience. It went out and reinforce that roster at the trade deadline to the best of its ability. It was never going to be easy, as Bruce Bochy said, but now you've got to go out and win it. And that it's it's just that simple. There's, I, I'm not going to sit here and lay blame on anything, 
They've done what they needed to do personnel-wise. A lot of guys have performed above what you would have expected. But you're going to have to go out and beat two teams that have playoff experience. Simple as that. Yeah, uh, it does make you question things, just like you said, because uh, they're perfect examples of that. You know, they've got so much mileage out of Travis Jankowski this year, you could not have expected that at all. You've gotten a lot of mileage out of Ezekiel Duran. You really couldn't have expected most of that. Leody Tavares, he's never really – he had spots where he's played pretty well. He hasn't done that either. Uh, he, Jonah, even before Jonah Heim got hurt, you know, he didn't have a track record as a guy who'd hit like that. So you did get a lot of kind of – it felt like career performances from, from a lot of people. That's not to say that they can't – some of them can't sustain that. It does make me wonder, does that make them reconsider bringing up Evan Carter? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they feel like Evan Carter is is ready for the big leagues yet. Um, I think right now, based on everything that I'm hearing, if they were to bring up Evan Carter, uh, that would be a real change in strategy. And for me, that would then smack of some desperation. Maybe, maybe it would be uh, – I don't think this team needs energy. I think this team has energy. Um, I just think that uh, I, I, I think that would be that would be more desperation than anything else. Um, We're getting pretty important- close to that desperation button, aren't we? Uh, listen, you're still a game and a half ahead in first place. Um, you're still playing from from ahead. You're hopefully going to get. Jonaheim back to the right place in the next few days. You're about, well, you may be about to get Nathan Yavaldi back uh, to help your, to, to finish out the rotation. And by doing that, probably strengthening the middle of the bullpen a little bit more. Uh, and then come September one, you're going to be able to add another body or two. So uh, this is a tough, tough stretch for the Rangers. August is always the longest month. They've got a long road trip right now. They aren't playing particularly well. It, it, it is, it's a challenge. And what Bruce Bochy has said is, look, from day one, I've been asked about challenges with this team, and I think at every step of the way, they've answered them. And they have. But the pennant race and the stretch drive is another challenge. And until you've answered that, like Houston and Seattle have, you're going to have to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got weaknesses, and everybody's bullpens are problematic. You know, bullpens are not as automatic as they – or the good bullpens aren't as automatic as they used to be. Uh, the numbers aren't as good. And sometimes when all you watch is the Rangers, you get the idea that this is the worst bullpen ever. Uh, it's not a good one, uh, but it's uh, – you know, it's not a not particularly bad one either – and my question is whether, it, as you intimated earlier, is it a playoff bullpen? Uh, and I, I just don't see Will Smith in that role. Uh, I, I've thought all along it was just a miracle what he was doing. And, and to get 22 saves, it, you know, was really something considering the stuff that he has now. And, um, and, and you know, that's the thing about a baseball season. There's, it's just long. And you've got yeah. so many games, and you can expect somebody to do it for that amount of time. Uh, it gets really be uh, awkward and difficult. And then, then the other part of it is, is that you know how many times you want to run him out there and and risk him, you know, d- you know, blowing more leads, blowing more wins, blowing more saves, and and then losing the confidence of his teammates, and uh, that's that's not a good situation to be in. 
if it were me and I'm Bruce Bochy at this point, I don't run him back out there in the ninth inning again. I, I think he might be done uh, as the closer. I, I, he certainly has a role in the bullpen, but I just don't know that he has a role as a ninth inning guy anymore. It, it's been a really, as I said last night, he's had a horrible month and we're just talking about the last 10 days. So um, I, I don't know what the answer is. Obviously he won't pitch tonight. He'll get an off day tomorrow. Um, Bochy trusts him an awful lot. If he didn't trust him, I think he would have looked at Chapman as a long-term closer earlier. Uh, there is a fearlessness there. He is a good teammate. I think he he earns he earns uh, he's got more trust from players um, than maybe you would expect at, in this at this point in time. But yeah, it's it's a critical moment for the Rangers and. They've got to they've got to figure some things out, and like I say, you know, maybe they face a, cl- a safe situation tonight, and they do go to Leclerc, and Leclerc goes out there and throws strikes and gets guys swinging, and the next thing you know, on Friday they have another or Thursday they have another save opportunity, and maybe it's Jose Leclerc trotting out of the bullpen again. I I, I think there's a lot of stuff where the bullpen is 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 concerned that has to be answered. The one thing I, I guess I can say here, Kevin, is this is a guy who's good at managing bullpens, um, and he's faced these situations before. Um, you know, I've asked him repeatedly about whether or not Will Smith's lack of velocity can be a playoff closer. He said, you know, he cited Trevor Hoffman to me, which to me is – it's not apples to oranges because, look, you're talking about the second-best closer maybe in the history of the game with an absolutely filthy pitch. Um, but the point but the point of the matter is he trusts Will, and we'll see if that trust is shaken now. He certainly wasn't going to address that last night, but I think after a night of sleeping on it, you know, it's, it's a question that he's going to face again. Well, you know, and that's the other thing, too, and the point you make about that is that what does that say about his trust in everybody else? You know, he's trusting Will Smith, who has less stuff than, than almost anybody else uh, in, on, in that bullpen. Uh, and I think it says everything about his feelings about Jose Leclerc and others. And, and I don't and look, I don't blame him. Uh, I, I don't have confidence in, in Jose either. I don't think Jose has confidence in himself. You know, that's I think what we're seeing now is that that these guys, uh, the, the other potential options, they question themselves. You can sense the body language, you know, of, of these people when you watch them. You know, you sense it when you're in the clubhouse when when Jose is running out of the clubhouse and we're all standing there, you know, try to get past us so we didn't have to stop and talk. I think it tells you everything about what his mindset is and where he's at. I don't think he's I don't think he's made it back. Well, no, of course he hasn't made it back. There was a time when he looked like a, a really top-shelf closer, uh, and he's not close to that now. I, I do think it's possible he could fill that role on occasion uh, and just to get to give uh, uh, Chapman a blow. But I do think at this point, at, at this point, Chapman's my number one choice, and then uh, Leclerc is probably my second, and just in a kind of to, to spell Chapman uh, every once in a while. Uh, and I think that's where they got to move from that point. I mean, I, I I don't see any I don't see anything else that seems reasonable. Um, I can't disagree with you at this point. Um, 
And we'll see, we'll see where they go. The answer is not going to come tonight. I mean, the long-term answer is not going to come tonight because both Chapman and, and it's not going to come tomorrow since they're off. So uh, if there is a long-term change, that's going to be evident over the weekend in Minneapolis. Um, and there just aren't right now, there aren't definitive answers. Look, if there were definitive answers, probably wouldn't be in this position in the first place, right? Yeah. No question. All right, Adam, before we get out of here, is there anything else you want to talk about with the Rangers? Is there something else that we we're missing that we should, we should, uh, we should talk about? You know, I, I, I just want to, the one thing I want to harp on is uh, things. Look, this team has been in first place for 120 days now, I think consecutively Um, for a large part of the season, they have made it look easy. But winning a division is never easy. And you've got – you've I've said this already, but you've got two teams that have playoff experience together, and they're playing well right now. And so it's going to be a challenge. The Rangers were not going to just ease into first place. They've got three games with Houston in Arlington uh, the first week of September. They close out the season with four games at Seattle. They have – a challenging schedule the rest of the way compared to the Astros and the Mariners, they're going to have to go out and win it. And it's, it's, it's that, it's that simple, but this team, the stated goal, if there was a stated goal from on high this year, it was we want to play meaningful games in September. September is going to roll around in a week. There's going to be meaningful games for the Texas Rangers to play. The rest is up to how they do it on the field You have to feel like with a three-time world championship winning manager, a veteran pitching coach, and the number of veterans that they brought in from Cy Young Award winners to postseason MVPs that the Rangers have the personnel here to do this. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast today. Uh, We appreciate you all coming in and listening, and we hope you'll come back next week and we'll be able to talk about the Cowboys getting ready for their first game. Uh, real game. Maybe maybe Dak Prescott will even start that one. Uh, and uh, also, it'll be the start of college football season. We haven't talked about any of that in our podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about colleges next week. And then, of course, we'll talk more about the Rangers and see maybe if they've straightened out some of their recent woes. So, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>